0: i Nathan, it's time for Crosstown Conversations. Thank you to Blake Jones Law Firm and Stay Local, an organization that's working to make sure that we support our local businesses. Um, And we have, as always, a great show with some very interesting people. I think you're gonna enjoy it, so stay tuned. Today, we're gonna do a little experiment. We're at the Flagpole Coffee Shop, and we're gonna talk to the owner and to an artist who came to this neighborhood when there were no coffee shops. So stand by, let's see if this works. It'll be a little rough because I'm just doing it on my phone camera. Bob Tannen, artist, resident of Treme Esplanade from 1972. What made you come here and I know it's inspired your art a lot. We're at the um, Flagpole New Coffee Shop on Esplanade a and Bayou Road. Shop. A
1: Cuban coffee shop.
0: Cuban coffee shop. And uh, this is um, really, when you came here, there were no coffee shops, right? Not in the neighborhood. Now there are four.
1: There's uh, CC's down Esplanade. There's the Pagoda. And there is uh, this coffee shop, the Flagpole, and there's another coffee shop, the Old Road coffee shop. So there are four now in the neighborhood. And
0: another one on Espo- on uh, Broad, right off uh, Esplanade. Yeah, right, right.
1: So, so when, I, when we first moved here and bought the house on Esplanade, it was a very different neighborhood. Uh, next door, there were, there were two sisters. Maybe three? three Ducanay. Three sisters, Ducanays, who always wore black and went out of the house with gloves on. White gloves. Very different, very different neighborhood in 1972.
0: But it's been, it's, it's been inspired, your art, and um, yeah. the climate and the architecture of the city has been a part of your work. And you have a, a show that's uh, uh, been open for almost a month, about to close this yeah. weekend. And in it, you have a lot of art made with um, bright red colors on it. What's that all about? Um, those objects are
1: appliances and other consumer objects that, we, that the world is filled with. We have a consumer economy. Instead of a production economy, we now consume these objects, most, most made in China or in other Asian parts of the world. Uh, and it it may become a problem, or is a problem. Uh, China became an industrial economy 35 years ago, and started manufacturing all of the things that we wanted to buy, and they're still doing that. Uh, But that kind of economy that's focused on consumer goods is not as uh, functional in the long term.
0: It's not necessarily good for the planet is what you're saying with your art, red right. being a color of danger and, right. and all kinds of uh, passion and power and so right. on. Now, let me talk for a minute about our host here at the flagpole Hi, coffee shop. Uh, mm-hmm. Come a little closer and just tell me your name.
2: My name is Andres, I'm Andres and Ricky Development.
0: What made you open a coffee shop right here? in a place that had been empty for a long, long time.
1: 30 years. And
0: and you have um, a, a special uh, a angle to what you're serving here. Well, I mean,
2: we were, we were passing by, uh, my wife and I, and I remember we were in a little five because I used to work in a plane in Baton Rouge, and, uh and I had to leave the house pretty early every day. And she said, well, you know, like, get another job. You know, if you're so miserable working where you were for uh people just find something else you can uh, so we I said well you know like maybe something later like that maybe I'll be making you know less money but there will be more quiet time the kids and, and uh, you know family time so uh, long story short she called the lady we went back and forth and then we ended up buying the property and then working out later the loan to fix the property and then you know, a year and a half later uh, you know we are, we're here open.
0: So it takes a lot of passion to stick with something for a year and a half before you're open and, and, and generating any income. That's tough. Yes. So, it but it, it's you seem to have like already built a following. You, you you're popular.
2: Well, I mean, I try to be nice with the community. I try to pay back. I try to you know encourage kids. to behave good. So when they do good in school and they show grades, and they choose pricing more what they do, and then you know they get free thing. And i think that's that's what it's all about
0: so tell me what you serve
2: here we
0: serve juice we
2: serve coffee. fresh juice right yes ma'am and uh, we got a machine and we do fresh orange juice and mango guava and uh, we do coffee we start doing pastries right now like cuban pastelitos guava and cheese guava and then now pineapple and uh
0: you know we do snowballs the natural one and the, the regular from the orange that's what i love you do snowballs with natural flavors not um, you know, syrupy
2: fake, yes. fake well,
0: stuff, yeah. We have both, you know, kids
2: love it, and usually the pine the help. Him. Um, but it's fun, it's fun, it's, it takes a lot of work. Is uh, the business is like seven weeks old, so so far, I mean, it can't pay anybody, but uh, you know, like eventually, it will, and it's a lot of fun doing greenery, planting plants, painting, changing the environment. It's, uh,
0: and music, you play music too.
2: Well, that's that's part of the plans. We're yeah. going to put the, and you know, all Cuban music, you know. My not.
0: favorite. Yeah. My absolute favorite.
2: And Other than New
0: Orleans, and yeah.
2: Hopefully, it's not going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be not that loud and then people will enjoy it, and not uh, be irritated with it. So,
0: right, yeah. right. So, um, I think one of the things that you have that I love the most is the. Um, uh, guava and cream cheese uh, turnover, right? Uh, would you call it a turnover?
2: Yeah, well, it's it's um, it, it, I'm Cuban, so we call pastelitos. Pastelitos. guava and pastelito. cheese pastelitos. Okay. Guayaba y queso pastelitos, or, or yeah, or piña pastelito, or carne, or you know, carne is m- m- meat. So eventually we will have all that.
0: So you're open from 11 to... Uh, in papers, it's 11 to 4. Uh, usually
2: here around 8 and I live around 6 o'clock. It's just sometimes forget merchandise that I don't have. So stores close and uh, usually at 6, so I put to finish at 4. If I have to run an I really fast and come back. Um, but eventually those hours will change. and summer will be 6.30. Oh,
0: okay. All right. Well, you know what? I think you have a a customer waiting for you. So maybe I'll let you go talk to the customer um, and and serve some of your great coffee and your great pistoladas. uh
2: Was that close,
0: Pastelitos. <laughs> Thank you very much. Anna. All right, come back uh, when you're finished serving. All and, right, uh, I will. Now, uh, Tana, let me pick back up with you. So, uh, so yeah, I, can... I want to know more about how you know, coming from Coney Island and oh. New Hampshire and, and all places Cambridge, around the country, Massachusetts. Cambridge, Arcania, Massachusetts. From
1: Cambridge.
0: Right. How well, how did how did living here change your work?
1: I was working for a water resources firm in Cambridge. Meta Systems Incorporated, run by a Harvard professor of environmental engineering, Robert Burden. And Robert Burden ha- and his firm had the contract
0: to plan
1: the rebuilding of the Mississippi Gulf Coast after Hurricane Camille, and I was one of the people along with Mel King, uh, the head of the Boston Urban League, who came down here to work with, came here to work with the local leadership and elected officials and the governor of Mississippi uh, to devise a plan to assist future uh, communities from uh, being able to deal with hurricanes. Or other disasters. It turns out it was one of the first migration plans because we recommended in Mississippi, we recommended in Mississippi uh, that areas that have been devastated along the coast that could not be protected with levees and could not be protected with flood walls, um, those folks might consider moving north towards the interstate corridor I-10 that was under construction. So it was the first migration plan for those who we felt could not be protected. And then after that, um, Ronnie Katz, who was the head of state planning in Louisiana, Uh, asked me if I would come to New Orleans and uh, be in charge of or direct a study to investigate the need for an additional bridge in the city. And Michael Dobbins and I became the co-leaders of this effort. Uh, And as a result of that, we had a very broad-based community uh, advisory uh, panel that was appointed by Governor Edwards and before that Governor McKitson. very broad-based. and we came up with a plan through that committee and through public extensive public meetings.
0: And one of the most important things about the plan is that you came up with a spiral ramp to avoid uh, damaging the Coliseum Square neighborhood, right?
1: right? And to remove and to remove the Camp Street ramp which ran right through the Coliseum uh, Park area. So then after that, uh, I joined Curtis and Davis, the architects of the Superdome, and we had, the, we had this study uh, to look at all of the neighborhoods of New Orleans, all 70 plus neighborhoods at that time, and devise a plan for protecting the historic neighborhoods as well as those neighborhoods that need other forms of, of improvement.
0: And that became uh, the final plan for all the historic neighborhoods. Right.
1: And we also recommended the Historic District Landmarks Commission and a number of historic districts. Right.
0: And as you worked on that, that's when you really started to look at the idea of making art based on the shotgun houses well, and other shotgun, forms of architecture.
1: The indigenous architecture and indigenous planning and design of neighborhoods here. Right. And you know, speaking of... Esplanade being a historic neighborhood, we selected, it was actually it was you who selected neighborhood, the neighborhood to live in. Uh, you you toured the city and decided that you wanted to live on Esplanade Avenue.
0: That's absolutely true. And the same thing with you. you, you probably toured around to decide where you were going to put your coffee shop and decided on Esplanade. Why? Yes,
2: ma'am. Well, it's such such a beautiful street with all the greenery. It's, um, I, I will, I will, you know, if I have to compare this street with another street in New Orleans, was, it would be St. Charles Avenue. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so much greenery and, um, you know, beautiful history. Um, I was talking to neighbors and I was telling you that, that that was um, the, the Bayou Road was the old way to come into the city and, uh, you know, so much history
0: oldest, about the Oldest street
1: in the city, Bayou Road is the oldest street in
0: the city. Say that again, French. we had a beer truck go
1: by. Bayou Road is the oldest street in the city. It connected the lake to the French Quarter. Yeah. What
0: became the French Quarter?
2: Yeah, yeah it was. It's really we amazing. Well Lake
1: to Mississippi River. Yeah, and, and I'm it was not... an Indian, it was a, a a major a major place for Indian uh, Native American uh, uh, neighborhoods along the, along the bayou
0: and trading and yeah. and um, uh, you know uh, villages and trading. And I saw amazing. Uh, for me, coming
2: from Cuba and, and had the opportunity to live in different cities of the United States, and after that coming to New Orleans, um, you know, so much connection you can find here with uh, with Cuba and um, Puerto Rico. So uh, yeah. all you know, like French Quarter, it half a lot. Uh, all Havana half a lot of the French Quarter, and they also want half a lot of, of the French Quarter, and also. You know that the interacting with people is, is a flow. It's is something that, that got you around, and it, it just, it's just it just so different. It, okay. it feels like I'm back home.
0: So, oh, yeah, it's, okay. It's really so that's part of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. And um, and actually, because the city was under Spanish rule for many years, there's a lot of uh, Spanish influence. In fact, when Tannen and I once went to um, uh, the Yucatan, we went to Merida. walking around Merida it feels like you're in New Orleans and and Havana too and uh, we've been to Panama in Panama country and that feels like here too
1: so because we live on Esplanade uh, we have been very pleased to see the redevelopment of a strong neighborhood in this area there are several neighborhood organizations that still function here and having four coffee shops Maybe it makes things difficult for each one, but it also is a draw for people to to be here. And uh, I think that the future of this neighborhood is one where people will have more interaction with their neighbors. And a coffee shop is the place where people meet and get to know each other in the neighborhood. Yeah, no, I totally
2: agree. And uh, you know, the, I, I, I mean, competition is good. I, I always feel like competition it, it just make everybody to put more effort to gather all those business. So I, I really think that uh, you know, getting all those business up, it just it just make everybody to be on the toys and, and you know, like try to, to, to get to do their better and you know, as as. You say I thought that like, we gathered people together and you know like lately people don't talk to each other anymore it's just all tests and you know like it, it's weird for me because I, I'm used to be talking to everybody So I, I leave
0: a message on at yeah, my, yeah, no, my texts that say um, if, 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 if your need is uh, it's short term and you don't get a reply from this text, try calling me. Yeah, <laughs> you know I like to talk to human beings. I wish you all the luck in the world. Here, Thank tell you. me your hours again.
2: Well, my hours in paper are eleven to four, and I usually gear from eight to six every yeah. day. So, um,
0: so we can sneak in the way we did today and have and a delicious be, cup of I don't know what kind of coffee this that's is. A that's Corte, a
1: cortadito. Corta. Cortadito. That's two shots of and a little bit of contour. Oh, be I'll
0: be ready for the Cuba. day, but it's delicious. I love it.
1: But also, you may be having sandwiches here. Yes. Maybe.
2: Yes, and I will Cuban sandwiches. Cuban sandwiches and, uh, you know, uh, maybe a little more stuff but coming up. Just, just one guy operation right now. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, we'll, we'll get
0: it stronger. Well, I'm crazy about what you're doing. I love your art. Your art show at the Octavia Gallery at 700. Uh,
1: 700 um, magazine magazine
0: Street. Street closes after this Saturday so Saturday uh, at 6th everybody closes. come by and see um, we didn't talk that much about your red art but it's uh, it's really kind of startling and fun well so it's
1: taking taking familiar appliances that almost every home has painting them red spraying them red to suggest how dangerous this emphasis on Consumerism. consumer products and what I said earlier, China in 35 years went from agri- agrarian economy to an industrial economy Sorry. with lower labor rates so they could be very competitive and became the source, became the source of major products purchased by people around the world.
0: Thank you, Mr. Tannen. And um, nothing better than art and coffee. And and here is a customer with her little dog waiting for her service this morning, um, just to show you that, yeah, they actually line up here a lot. So I am pleased to have brought you with my um, mask, not quite where it should be, Um, a little visit about art and coffee in Treme on Esplanade and um that's it for now. Keith Sonnier was a leading American contemporary artist who showed us how to use light in contemporary art among other things. He's from Mamou and he just recently passed. We are going to replay an interview I did with him last year for the occasion of his um one-man retrospective show at the New Orleans Museum of Art. Hi, Keith. Hi, dear. Let's see. I put in my newsletter, which Mm. you probably have not seen because you probably don't look at newsletters online, Uh. I'm sure, um, that the last Uh. time we had a conversation on broadcast was in 1977 for the Louisiana Five. 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 Five from Louisiana show at right. the New Orleans Museum of Art. Exactly. And you and I did a little walkthrough. Right. I still have the video from that.
3: Oh, interesting.
0: I do. And, um, of course, what was so terrific about that show was the other people who were in it with you. Lydia Linda yeah. Benglis, who, by the way, h- um, her flight was canceled because of the snowstorm out West. Right. So she's not coming in, right. unfortunately. Um, Tina Gerard. Right. Dickie Landry. Ida Colmeyer.
3: Right, of course,
0: and, um, and all of these folks are pe- people who've been part of my life ever since, one way or another. Right, and uh, and here you are back in New Orleans with a retrospective.
3: Exactly.
0: How does it feel to have a retrospective?
3: Well, um, for one thing, of course, it you know it feels very good, and it's very interesting to see that. It's here in New Orleans because the origins to my work are really Louisiana-based. I had the first show at the parish, which is uh, in Southampton, Watermill, New York, and we addressed some of the um, sculptural and light issues that I became interested in by the time I did that show, I had traveled to Europe many times, worked in Europe, and had been to India several times, and to China. So I'd at least been... I was out of growing my mood, darling. I (laughs) I was blessed in a lot of ways, but mainly that I grew up in Louisiana.
0: So I've read in the press release that the museum put out... That one of the first influences on you in terms of wanting to use light in your work, and and audience, this is one of the things that um, Keith is is well known for, and that is integrating uh, light and the technology of light in his work, along with a lot of other things that we'll talk about. Um, But that it was the rice fields in South Louisiana and the light on them that kind of had a... An impact on you. Tell me about that.
3: Yeah. Well, in order to have that experience, um, I grew up in this area where my um, grandparents were some of the first people that did homesteading and actually grew rice. And, uh, you know, this was pre the soybean days when there was, you know, people being paid. To plant or not to plant. And my dad did have, my dad had a hardware store and my mom began as a florist. Your
0: your dad had a hardware, Linda's dad had hardware, Shannon's dad had hardware. What is this hardware connection? Well,
3: the thing is, hardware was... Goes
0: along with farming.
3: Goes along with farming and uh, not only that, driving... uh, you know, m- m- uh, moving, uh, household. You know, you can't function even a simple household without
0: a picking store. up something
3: at the hardware store. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, Tannin, uh, Bob Tannen is yes. in and out of um, the uh, hardware store on Rampart Street yes. just about every other day. Yes,
3: right. And um, my dad ran a rather unique business because he was an eccentric person to begin with, and uh, he and my mom had a pretty unique relationship. They uh, rarely fought, and they both had very innate in their personality a kind of feeling that they had to do something in the community. They were... It was a... they were impressed by their parents that they had to give something back, hmm. and this was something very unusual. My dad, uh, you know, growing up with a Cajun father, um, men Cook, my dad um, had a very unique talent of reading constantly. So, when people came into my dad's store, he'd be sitting in his rocking chair next to an old Coke machine. And they would say, Joe in the patouage, and he's a little screw, and said, Third shelf to the right on the back row. Leave the money on the register. I'm busy. And (laughs) this would go on to this day. And there was always like a little six or five year old boy with him. Because my aunt had a child that had um, um,
0: some kind of a learning disability. He
3: had a learning disability. Mm -hmm. He had one of those. He had polio as a child. And so uh, his nickname was Bosco. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, it was him, Bosco, and uh, television. There were about six TV sets going on because my dad sold TV's. And then Bosco became later on a pool sharp. He became very good. But Bosco's mother, my aunt Evangeline, was also a very unique sister of my mother's, who was a big supporter of the leper colony. Um, uh,
1: about Carville. 50, yes. Yeah.
3: About fifty miles out of Mamu. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would go once a month to bring clothes and to the leper colony to mm-hmm. talk to the lepers and mm-hmm. to deal with the um the priests who were in the plantation um where the colony was situated because in those years leprosy was all over America mm-hmm. uh,
0: it's surprising
3: that. that you know we knew that and years ago they thought there was a cure from marsupials like and louisiana has several well-known marsupials
0: Uh, Is that like? Would that be like armadillos?
3: Armadillos, Uh uh, raccoon. I think raccoon. No, raccoon is not a marsupial. It's a mammal. Um, So there was a reason um,
0: for for them. But so, so Keith, are you telling me that basically? You you came from a family of fairly unique people. Never went to
3: school. They shaped
0: never. their own yes. way of dealing right. with the world.
3: Yes, and they were adored by the townspeople in their own unique kind of personality. People loved my dad, and people would come to see him for advice on what they might do with their, meager little farm or whatever and my mom had a political side she did, was began as a florist but uh, she loved politics and if she hmm. had been a man she would have been in politics hmm. and so she constantly had meetings with the mayor and who's Mr. Kazan, who ran the Kazan Hotel he looked like uh, a Mississippi gambler. You know, with the black mustache and the hair slicked back, and so my mother. My mother had a very unique name. Her name, married name, was May Sonier, but her uh, pre-married name was May Ledoux.
0: Ledoux. Mm -hmm. Ledoux.
3: And her father was killed in an early all-rigging accident because all rigs in that time, even dangerous, and they were made out of wood. They
0: still are, but and they're made out of wood. They were made out of wood. And, oh my he God. Did,
3: and he had a very interesting, his name was Grover Mouton.
0: How, related to the Grover Mouton we know here in New Orleans? <laughs> oh, my God. Now I know. Now I've got a, a trail on the eccentricity. Right. right. How did this affect your uh, evolution as an artist?
3: The thing is, is that it was never a question of my dad or my mom. saying, no, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer. Because neither one of them had been to college, and my dad would say, "Well, you know, some people like going to school. I like to learn things myself. I'm not so interested in people telling me what to do." And my mom sounds like
0: another artist I right. that I live with. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah.
3: Right. And uh, my mom was also very different, but she also had this civic duty she felt to the town. And she had a unique talent like her sisters. They they had great voices. And they sang in the church choir Mm -hmm. in Latin.
0: In Latin. Oh, my God.
3: And (laughs) they were very friendly, my mom in particular, with several um, black women who had been opera stars. Mm. Married to one to the principal of town. Um, several other people, and they all sang together. And when they rocked, it was like amazing,
0: glorious.
3: Because there was this. Canadian, Are there
0: any recordings?
3: I I don't know. And no. they had a Canadian priest because they had to have several sermons in French because
0: so people many people spoke French then. Only
3: spoke the French, right. so it was very interesting. And my mom became friendlier with the women in the choir. And the priest would say things like, "Um, now, ladies, we have, it was Easter communion or something. Um, uh, Members of the choir, the black members are going to go first uh, to get communion. And then the white women will go in the choir. And my mom stood up and she says, well, that's a little problem.
0: We're not all black or all yeah, white. No, no I'm <laughs> <But> said, one. <laughs> we
3: all going together, me and my sisters.
0: <laughs> so
3: they went together and it was fabulous. It was great. Yeah. Um, and now I'm
0: still trying to get to how this affected you as an artist. Okay. <laughs> I so, love hearing these stories. Right. But.
3: Well, the thing is, is that I had no, um, it's not like I had a plan and there was no art school in school or anything like that so I basically had a lot of free time I was a middle child it allowed me a lot of time and I was lucked out in that I had very eccentric and unique teachers as well
0: and 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 your folks it sounds like what you're saying is that they gave you the room and the freedom to develop as you wanted
3: exactly and That's there were so no, important. there were no hold bar that you had to be this, you had to be that. So it changed things quite a lot in the household and we all participated. I have two other brothers, one is dead now. And, um, we had a very interesting community life. We all pitched in and did stuff. I can still remember my dad bringing his cafe au lait in the morning in bed, which was quite a luxury. And we'd hide the dogs and the covers, and it was a great place to experience this. You
0: still go back there, don't you?
3: I do go back. I go back to I really have decided to move out of New York and move permanently in the Bridgehampton area Mm -hmm. because now I can work with artisans. And technicians directly, and they come to the studio. Mm -hmm. So making art, I'm still doing shows and still making new bodies of work. You
0: know, I think most of the people have the image of the Hamptons as being a place of, you know, big houses and high social. But they were agricultural fields. Absolutely. And so the the ecology is very similar in a way to South Louisiana. That's
3: true. Yeah. Very true.
0: So you must feel, in a way, very much at home. Uh,
3: Very much at home and incredibly, you know, with the – I never had the kind of access to the ocean that I have uh, in the East Coast. But in Mamu I had the rice fields and, of course, a car. We were driving at 13. We'd drive, you know, 10, 15 miles. And we'd go out at night to the clubs. We could drink at 15. (laughs) <laughs> I'd go to a nightclub and order, it uh, was called The Setup, like a fifth bourbon and some 7-Up or Cokes, and I would watch Otis Redding live.
0: Oh, wow. Ten f-
3: like 10 feet What
0: was away. he doing in Grandma Moo?
3: He was on the circuit. People, you know, uh, played music all through the South. Right. And men and women both performed.
0: All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay steadfast on my mission here yeah. to see the connection right. between this lifestyle, which, by the way, that's why I'm here in Louisiana. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but the, my very first visit here, my first experience was at a Couchon yeah. in Butte-La Rose. Right. That um, Tina wasn't there uh, at the time, and not, I'm not going to remember the whole crowd, but um, Tannen worked with yeah. several of the people in that group. Right. We went to it, and um, uh, Tannen had already decided he was going to hang here. He right. wasn't coming back to the East Coast. Right. And so I'm looking at this and saying, "Yeah, I think I can do this." Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was definitely very inviting. Yeah. Uh, situation. So I, I understand a little bit about what you're talking about, but I still want to get to how do you get from that.
3: To being an really artist.
0: quite agricultural background and yes a certain amount of freedom and and looseness in in the structure of your life to making the kind of art that you make and I want to hear you talk about the kind of art that you make before the show is over
3: right well uh, as my experience as a kid growing up in Louisiana my schooling and my visualization uh A good friend of my family was called Shardy the Sign Painter. Who? Shardy the
0: Sign
3: sign Painter. That
0: was Tannen's nickname as a child. Really? Because he had really black, black hair. Right.
3: And um, he painted on the side of rice dryers and cotton gins that were corrugated. So when you drove by, they sort of moved. Oh. And so... In the local town of Gromamu, on one side he painted heaven, and on the other side he painted hell. And it was a wooden structure made to look like an old cathedral. And when the wind would blow, the celotex ceilings would shake a bit, so it looked like the angels were flying. Shimmering. Shimmering up. And it was like this unique experience. It was quite nice and Shardy's, you know paint truck was filled with buckets of paint and step ladders and stuff and this to me was my first picture of what an artist might do and, and it seemed very appealing like you
0: know. and and what's interesting about it is that it was obviously the man ha- had to have a creative um soul yes but he was working in a commercial context yes and using light and all of the industrial materials that are characteristic of your work, work. somehow
3: mixed right, seemed
0: right. like it was okay to do
3: it was like, based no on hards- having
0: seen him do yeah, it. Yeah,
3: no holds barred, you know. Whereas when you go to school, oh, no, like I remember when I first went to university, no, no, um, you can't do that. You have to, you know, it has to. Artwork can only be up to at least 50 inches. Uh, You can't have it uh, (laughs) up. And I said, well, suppose your artwork sticks out from the wall two feet up at 50 inches. I hope you have a good lawyer because you could be sued. (laughs) So it was an interesting thing to look at material in a different way. I had never looked. And at to
0: come it, off the wall.
3: And to come off the wall and to sense what materials were made of and how they functioned. Most importantly, you know, the idea of the radio was so fascinating to me and how hmm. important the radio as a young child to me uh, and my upbringing. I can still remember my grandmother walking around. She had hearing problems, so she carried the radio like right next to her her head. Um, And she had, um, she was a very well-known healer of the old days, not making food, not a traiteur, but someone who treated for illness of the soul. So the local doctor would call me and say, her um, nickname was Uges, He said It was what? Ugesse. Uges. Coming from um, Eugenia or something. And the doctor was Dr. Sawan And he said, Ecoute, Ugesse, c'est I have this woman I can't cure. I, you have to give her the cure. So the doctor was sending her to a soothsayer. And... <laughs>
0: So say, but in, in, in Cajun country, there's a, a special name for that? What is that name for? Triteur. Right. Yeah. Triteur.
3: But it wasn't a treater for food now that triteurs, but it's for fancy food, you yeah. know, preparing dishes in all the shops we go to now, our specialty lunches and all of that. So um, this kind of treating became very important. Hmm. And um, she was a very um, independent woman. She lived alone for about 20 years when my grandfather died. My grandfather's name was Bacchus. Bacchus. Bacchus? As
0: as in God of Wine. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Or right now, our our parade by that name. Okay, now, I am going to really, I'm going to um, shake my stick. All right. Describe your work.
3: Okay. Uh, The first time I really began to make artwork and sensed it was, uh, in a curious way, not in this country, but in India. I had gone to India to work with a family that worked with American artists, European artists, called the Sarabai family, and they had a foundation in Omnibot. Here's where uh, 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 the great um,
0: Linda and on yeah, and, on.
3: and the ashram of uh, the great Indian <laughs> the great Indian of uh, philosopher oh. for peace. Okay, and I stayed there a couple of months, mm-hmm. and it's where I felt I could make and do anything I wanted to, and the the workers. Who were helping me make the work would say, "Oh, oh man, this is Kali, or this is." They they were giving God's names to the pieces I was making.
0: Oh, whoa! And
3: it just completely, you know, I thought blew your well, mind. Blew my mind, and um, I was fascinated by bamboo because I grew up with bamboo, mm-hmm. and so I made my first bamboo work in India. Hmm. I had never really made artwork in uh Louisiana. I mean, I had done a few you know like high school decoration things and stuff, but not but it was
0: churning in your mind.
3: Yes, it was definitely there because I had a uh a very inventive mother who made all kinds of things. she was constantly making things that uh she might need or that was necessary. In some aspect of work that she was working on, and um,
0: and so that was another part of how you came to use so many different kinds of technology and materials. Because uh, I want people to know that your work is not like a pretty painting on the wall; it is work that you that that shows. The, the ingredients, the technology that hold things together and that support light and other elements that are um, the heart of what you're trying to show. Yes,
3: and that we all live with. Uh, the town was uh, my only input into thoughts, you know, before I started to travel. It was don't forget five thousand people, uh, that I I saw Neon for the first time.
0: Oh.
3: And it was at a nightclub called the Holiday Inn. Which behind <laughs> it behind it had rice fields.
0: The, the, <laughs> <laughs> the Holiday Inn as 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 a uh inspiration yes. for art. I yeah. love that.
3: And behind it were the rice fields. Yeah. And so the Neon would flash onto the rice fields and flash and flash and extend over the horizon. Yeah. And this appealed to me. Interesting. I thought, well, I wonder how one could recreate that. And that's where it wasn't, oh, I have to make this artwork like this person. I wanted to make a phenomenon. Right. I wanted to recreate an experience.
0: And light. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And... Create, allowing myself to create an experience that there was no definition to art. It was I wanted to recreate an experience.
0: And, and what you did when you started doing that kind of work, Keith? Nobody else was doing that, right?
3: No, no, definitely not in my
0: home. So I mean that that again brings in that whole element of courage and risk, and you know, moving beyond any kind of boundaries. And and doing something that you'd never seen before, I'd except never, in, in your interpretation in of my, that natural phenomena.
3: Exactly. And I had the unique experience of great eccentric high school teachers who imbued me with the idea that art making could become part of one's life and one could – Give something to someone by showing them how to experience this impression. I am. I'm writing a book now with an English poet friend of mine that discusses a lot of my early teachers um, growing up in Mamu. One, Miss Baby Smith, was just amazing.
0: I don't think I can remember, but maybe one or two of my teachers' names. Yeah. So they must have really impressed, yeah, impressed. you.
3: Impressed, and Miss Baby uh, had a son my age, and another son that was an architect, and another son that woman, and um, who was our, my librarian. And Miss Baby would walk into the class, and she only wore fuchsia. And say, kids, I'm so depressed today, and we haven't had son in three days we are going to sing every class today
0: <laughs> wow and
3: she, and she'd roll in out the whole we're oh,
0: not talking about some fancy no. art program <laughs> no. in lower manhattan no.
3: and she'd roll out this old steinway that was an upright steinway that had been painted white over the years and and we you know we'd sing everything from arithmetic
0: you disrupt. sang the arithmetic. Yeah, right. Maybe I would have passed math if right. I had done that. Right, <laughs> right. Can you take a exactly. picture of
3: us? Exactly. And that's what started. And curiously, her children, one was about my age. We walked to school together. The older son was an architect, a uh, well-known architect, who did very impressive unique kinds of architectural moves. And who the, was that?
0: That wasn't near boss, was it?
3: Uh, no, his name was, uh, no, uh, his name is Ashton Smith. He might still be alive. And then his sister, Marlene Smith, was my librarian, who was very unique and um, had a physical malfunction. But in Louisiana, no, people with eccentricities in those days were included, included as part of life. And I can still remember my uh, librarian saying, now, kids, I've ordered some records of, that are classical. I want each one of you, boys and girls, to spend at least 15 to 30 minutes listening to classical music. Let's just switch the Zodico channel for a while.
0: <laughs> and it was
3: very interesting having this.
0: The contrast.
3: And the contrast and Marlene had a great sense of humor. Like she'd walk into a typing room because our typing was all army typewriters, full caps. Looked like a telegram. And she'd walk into the room with her dress slightly askew because of her illness. And um, she'd say, whose horse is this in the room? And there was a white horse just standing with all the typewriters clicking away. And one of the kids said, oh, it got hot. And she just walked in.
0: <laughs> you know what's fascinating about this conversation that we've been having? When I think of your work, again, I think of the materiality of it. Yeah. I think of the um, kind of exposure of the skeletal elements. Yes. I think of the light of um, but you're talking about people, people, and no. how much the right. people influenced right who you are, how you think, and how yes. you create. The
3: characters of the people were amazing, and the stories. My mother's uh, sisters were amazing. You know, they were raised by a woman during the depression, whose husband died. You know, she had to raise five kids. Mm. And who I never knew, you know, but she uh, died when I was still a child.
0: So it, it was really about the resilience of people too that had yes. an impact on you. Let me ask you this: When you get to New York, okay? Because I, I don't remember how old you were when right. you started working in New York, and 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 here you're just bombarded with this incredible panoply of humanity. I mean, yes. just all kinds right. of people. Yes. What was your What was your Instinctive initial reaction to all of that, coming from this context of your five thousand person town of special, yeah. unique, eccentric, resilient people. How, how did you?
3: Well, how did I, you
0: bridge that gap? How I did was you?
3: I was very lucky in that I had gotten a scholarship uh, to Rutgers because in those years you could still be teaching assistants and that kind of stuff. These days over being artists, you know, where you have some kind of income, they're just too many. The factory's gotten too big. And I was very lucky in the fact that one of my uh, professors in Lafayette, where I'd gone to school, he says, look, I know the director of Rutgers, who's a famous printmaker, and they're still hiring assistants to teach. Says now, Sonia has a minor in um, anthropology. Um, you and did, yeah. Well, I studied anthropology.
0: <laughs> you say it's still—it's all back to people.
3: Yeah, it's right. so
0: funny. And I
3: was just so fascinated by because you know we found arrowheads in the backyard.
0: You found what arrowheads? Oh, I mean, arrowheads, yeah. there were
3: so many Indian tribes, right? So it was very important.
0: I don't think there's um, uh, one of the things I noticed when I first came south is how many people that I encountered had Native American blood. Yes. Because there was so much intermarriage. Right,
3: right. And um, finally, I came east, and I and I had lost weight because I wasn't eating properly, and um, I lost something like 65 pounds. And it actually, uh, I hired two assistants, Katharina, one who's sitting outside now, and Leslie said They became producers for me selling work and doing books. And we've been working together for several years now. And they came down to set up the show.
0: So that's another thing that you do in your work is that you collaborate Yes. a team of people. Yes. Oh, and uh-huh. collaboration. I, didn't, I didn't know that.
3: Collaboration for all contemporary artists is, especially if you're in filmmaking or sound or anything, it's very important. You can't do this You have by to work the, with technicians. You have to work with other people. Mm-hmm. So that became very important. And I loved being East, quite frankly. I found it very interesting. And um, when I went to... York for the first time, we had gone to New Brunswick first, because Rutgers is in New Brunswick about an hour, 45 minutes out of New York. And when I went to New York, I thought, oh, it's, God, it's just fabulous. And I told my mom, I said, I'm going to New York. She says, well, darling, you're going to have to take a little gent first to Normandy, where the Sonias are from, and get rid of that pot
0: <laughs> Did you do that? Yes. Oh my God!
3: So <laughs> I went because she was friends with a nun in Mamou who taught the Montessori method. Uh huh. And she said, "Look, Keith can't just go off to college. He has
0: an education and learn how to speak French, Joe." So Keith, we, uh, I, I, I could, I could sit here and I think we could probably talk for about the next six hours. Yes. And not even touch on uh, the, the whole story of you and your work. But I, I've, I, I, my engineer is signaling to me that um, she's, she's got two kids waiting to go home. Yeah. And she's actually the general manager of the right. station, too. So I pay very close attention right. to whatever she very says and close. wants, right? Yeah. But um, what I want to do is, is, is remind everybody of why we're having this conversation, which has to do with the fact that you have your retrospective show opening at the New Orleans Museum of Art in City Park, y'all, this Friday between six and nine o'clock, okay? And um, I I really want people who are listening to us to go see that work. You'll understand when you see it why I've expressed so much surprise at the things I've been hearing from Keith about his childhood and trying to make the connection between all of these people and characters in your life and the work, which is I, – I I, I I hesitate. I'm not a curator, so yeah. I can't really describe right. work well. But it, it, it is very ethereal in some ways. It is very um, – realistic in a certain... Uh, not. But it's
3: not a painting hanging on the wall.
0: It is. that. List, you know what? That's the closing words. Your work is not a painting on a wall. So I urge you all, including Susan Henry's young creative kids that are in the room here, to go see that show Friday between 6 and 9 at the New Orleans Museum of Art. And you will have... Um, an experience that will promise some of the eccentricity that, that uh, Keith Sonier has grown up with and has expressed through his work. This has been Crosstown Conversations. Susan was so generous to let us run over. I was warned that Keith was going to be tired and he wasn't going to want to talk too long. I knew that wasn't going to mean a damn thing, and it didn't. We had a wonderful time. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Yeah. We're going to do it again. Great to see And you. add to this. Yeah. And um, uh, this will be available online in our podcast for Crosstown Conversations. You go to YouTube and it's there. I'm no expert in how to find things, but you'll find them.
3: There and
0: it will, it will be there for posterity. Right. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. And I know you're tired because you flew in today, right? Yes. Sir. Okay. Well, you yeah, enjoy I'm your right. visit here in New Orleans. Thank you very and much. And when you get to the park, you haven't seen Linda's Wave yet, have you? I haven't. You're going to love seeing yeah. it. You're going to love seeing the right. park and what's uh, and the right. and the museum and what's going on there. Right, very good. Thank
3: you. Great to see.
0: So, again, I think you had a hope, uh, an interesting time listening to some of these folks we just had on and, and what they had to say. And I want to thank again Blake Jones Law Firm and Stay Local, um, our sponsors, for making it possible for us to come to you. Nathan, for our sound Conversations. Talk to you next week. will be okay. People are talking about.